Uh, the first reading from 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, verse, verses 10 to 20. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory and the majesty and the splendour. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as well as were our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have, have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly you people, your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you and give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements and decrees and do everything to be the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David says to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low and fell prostrate before the King, the Lord and the King. Second reading is on page 120 and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 to 15. Page 820. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work 
so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be, be, might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be a quality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have li too little. Thanks, Thanks Carmen. Here's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ from Matthew chapter 6. He said this, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at those words. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now what is Jesus saying there? Isn't he saying what you do with your money shows what you value in your heart? So my money goes where my heart goes. Now, everybody here in this building tonight has to agree with that statement. Whether you're here tonight as a follower of Christ or you are here not as a follower of Christ, that statement is true, that we use our money on what we think is important. So what we do with our money is like a window into our hearts. What you do with your money shows what you value in life. Let me show you. If you value fitness in life then you will use your money to pay for a gym membership or buy some new running shoes. If you value education in life, then you will use your money to pay the enrollment fees and to buy your textbooks and to buy your new MacBook because that's what you value. If you value entertainment, then you'll use your money to pay for the concert subscription and to pay for the movie tickets and to buy the new home entertainment system. If you value ministers of a church, you might choose to give your money to that. Now that statement is true. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The way you use your money is a window into your heart. And tonight we're talking about money. And I know that we don't like talking about money. It's one of the most sensitive, awkward subjects in church. And we do rarely talk about it here at Church by the Bridge. I'm aware there's lots of visitors tonight. And you might have come thinking, oh, I'm going to church. I've never been to church before. They're bound to talk about money. I'm just fulfilling all your stereotypes. <laughs> we rarely talk about money, but we should talk about it more because Jesus talked about it lots. 17 of the 38 parables that Jesus told were about possessions or money. And I think it's like God is saying, okay... As human beings, you spend your entire lives trying to save money and earn money and invest money and spend money. Okay, I'm going to make money the, the litmus test for your faith. Because where your money is, there your heart is. And let me say very personally that writing this sermon has been really tough this week. Rachel and I are making some very tough financial decisions. I think, Lord, why am I preaching on money this week? And my prayer is that this teaching on money will be life-changing. That God's word tonight might create in you this radical generosity. Not because of a need, but because you love God. Not because you've got a, a budget to meet, but because you can see all, all the ways that, that God's kindness to you could be used for the good of other people. 
Can you imagine if we could employ an Anglicare worker for our local community or all the mercy ministry we could do or all those hurting people that we could help in the name of Jesus if we had the money to do that? I want the way that you use your money to shout to the world that you love Jesus more than anything in the world. I've got two points tonight. I'll start with the negative and then we'll go to the positive. Here's the first one. The dangers of greed. The dangers of greed. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. It's on page 737. Famous story that Jesus told about the rich fool. It's a really simple parable, but very profound. It's about the the danger of being greedy. Verse 13, uh, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, this is to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so the issue is money. He wants the inheritance and he wants it now. What does Jesus say? Verse 13, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me as a judge or arbiter between you? I'm not going to deal with that, but I am going to teach you about money. And so Jesus said to them, verse 15, watch out. Be careful. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's the teaching point. Be careful. Watch out. Be on your guard against the deceitfulness of wealth. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having money. But our Lord Jesus Christ says, beware. Your money, your wealth, your treasures can actually lie to you. Have you realized that? Your money can lie to you. Your money says things like, you need me. If you had more of me, your life could be better. If you want a better life, if you want to be totally satisfied in life, you need more of me. That's money talking to you. And Jesus says, don't listen to that lie. Your life is not about money. He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So if your life is not about possessions, and if your life is not about money, what is your life about? And Jesus tells you. John 17, verse 3 says, This is life. Not that you that that, that you may that sorry, this is life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ his Son. That's what life is about. Not about things, not about the, the dollars in your bank account. Not about the latest, best, fastest, flashiest. Life is about knowing God, knowing your maker, the intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. To quote John Piper again, life is about treasuring Jesus more than your treasures. And that's what this parable is about, treasuring Jesus more than your treasures. Here's the parable, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, oh, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. There's nothing wrong with being rich. He's a rich man who gets a good crop. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting a pay rise. There's nothing wrong with your business prospering. There's nothing wrong with your investments doing well. Money is not evil. This man is not a fool because he had lots of money. This man is a fool because of the way that he used his money. Look what he says in verse 18. He said... I've got all this stuff, all this crops. What will I do with it? This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Bigger and bigger barns to store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, 
Oh, you've got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, where is this man's heart? Look at it. Where's his heart? His heart is relaxing and eating and drinking and having a good time and saving for the future and his superannuation. And I reckon if you got this man's credit card statement, you'd have the dining out at that place and the nice wine and the concerts and the gym membership. And you say, this is his life. This is what life is about for this man. And that's a scary thought for me. Looking through my credit card statement and saying, how would people look at my life and where my heart is? But, verse 20, God says to him, you, you fool, you damn fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone, anyone, that's you and I, who, who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? It just means that you count God as your greatest riches. You treasure God more than anything on this earth. And you use your earthly riches to show how much you love God. That's being rich towards God. Say, my life is not about possessions, it's about you. These these are great things. Thank you, God, that you've given me all this wealth. Nothing wrong with that. Enjoy it. But make sure that your heart is showing yourself and the world how much you love God. That's the danger of money, is that you become greedy, you want more of it. I could list person after person after person who have wandered from the faith because money became their goal and their purpose and their identity. I hope you know that, that money can lure you away from God and you start to treasure things more than you treasure God. For me, the great warning sign is when you start to call all these different things your needs rather than your wants. When you love money and all these things, you must have them rather than it's just a desire and a want. So what's it going to look like for you and I to be rich towards God? It's just saying, God, everything I have belongs to you. You made my business prosper and you gave me that job and you gave me that money. It just all belongs to you. Just show me how to use it I don't need bigger barns. I, I don't need better food. I don't need bigger parties. I don't need more labeled clothes. I just need to know you better. Eat, drink, and be merry. I, I want to do that with people. <laughs> and I want, to, I, want, I want to have all these friends where I can do it together. And I'm going to use my money so that, so that your name is honored. And a prayer that you've got to pray regularly, and I need to pray regularly, is this Lord God, please protect me from greed. That's the danger. That's the negative. Please don't think life, life is all about possessions. Here's the positive. The delights of giving. The danger of greed and the delights of giving. So flick over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And whilst you're finding I'm going to invite uh, Doug to come forward and just interview him. It's always, fine to, always hard to find someone to interview about the way they use their money. But Doug's been very brave. Let me grab that microphone. So Doug, you're married to Carol, and you have a, a baby daughter called Rebecca, who is now about three months old? Nine weeks. Nine, Nine weeks. weeks old. So, so how do you and Carol decide how to use your money? 
know, how much to give and who to give to, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, tough question, challenging topic, and yeah, nerve-wracking being here talking about it in front of all of you. Um, I think following on from Simon's example of three Fs, for, for us it's two Hs. It's a mixture of the head and the heart. Um, the heart, we, we consider things that we are passionate about, the church, gospel ministry. We look at, I think as we become older, we become more discerning in things that we, we support. Um, in terms of head, uh, we realize that organizations and people have got financial needs, financial commitments, and I guess it's, it's a real pleasure to, to, to partner with them and, and to help those organizations meet those, meet those needs. How that practically works for us is uh, we've got a budget. Carol also is our chief financial officer, so she, <laughs> we, we pray about it. We kind of study the, the word, and I, I don't think there's a formula. We just um, we determine what's, what's right, how much we can afford, um, and then hopefully push it a bit more, drop it into the budget, set up an EFT for the church, and then, and then off we go. How often do you review your financial giving? Um, probably as often as we have a kind of significant life event, so change in job, change in country, having a baby, um, and that probably translates into once or twice a year. Um, just share one story of the joy of giving to others. Probably the best example is, is here at church. Um, we've seen Church by the Bridge uh, grow from kind of nothing five, six years ago to where it is now. Uh, all the missionaries and the ministries that, that we support. And I guess to be part of that and to support the church in that way, that's, that's a real joy for us. Thanks, Doug. So let's look at our 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the delights of giving. The, the scenario here is it's about AD 55 in Jerusalem. And if you were there that day, you, you would see these starving kids, and then you would see to your horror, you're actually in a church. And so Christians are starving and are doing it tough in Jerusalem. And so Paul kind of sets up a, a tear fund, relief fund for the, 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 the Christians in Jerusalem who are doing it tough. And he goes to Corinth, and they're excited. They're going, oh, we'd love to give. Awesome. We can help our, our brothers and sisters who are doing it tough. And they, they print out these leaflets and these flyers, and they put up boards, and they have these pictures of these kids and whatever it is. But then he's writing to them this letter and saying, actually, you promised to give, but you haven't given. And that's true, isn't it? It's easy to say, I'd love to give, than it is to actually put your hand in your pocket and actually do it. So what do you learn about giving here? First thing, love Jesus more than anything in the world. The more you love Jesus, the more you delight to give your money. Now let me show you, verse 8. He said, I'm not commanding you. You can't command people to give. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And what Paul is saying there is that the more you love Jesus and the more you understand what Jesus has done for you, and the more you understand how, how rich you are in Christ. You are rich beyond your imagination. And these earthly riches, they are nice and they are lovely and they are good, but I love Jesus more than I love my earthly riches. How does the hymn put it? Glorious things of the earth spoken. It says, fading is the worldly pleasure, all its weak pretense and show. Solid joys and lasting treasure, 
none but those of Zion know. God wants you to love Jesus more than anything else in this world. I hope you know this, that God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money at all. He wants your heart. But if he's got your heart, then you'll love to give. Love Jesus more than anything else in this world. Second one, give generously. Now that was the Macedonians. They were the users of the model. Look at verses 1 to 3. We want you to know about the, the grace God has given to the Macedonian churches. The Macedonians were, were poor. They had nothing. Verse 2, out of the most severe trial and their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, they've got nothing. But they're a generous church. Verse 3, I testify they gave as much as they were able. And even beyond their ability. It's the kind of church where they're not saying, I think I've given enough. They're saying, I can always give a bit more. Beyond their ability, I call that the, the ouch factor. And for me, I rarely feel the ouch factor. I think, about, I think nothing of, of signing a contract for 24 months for IINet or for a mobile phone company, but when it comes to giving to other people, ouch, that really hurts. I, I find verse 4 most striking. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Don't you find that ironic? It's not the poor Macedonian church begging for money. It's not Paul begging the Macedonians to give. It's the poor Macedonians begging for the privilege of giving. No arm twisting, no pleading, no manipulation. We just want to give. So is that us? Please God, let us give. What a privilege to give, you know. Wow, you've given me this, this tax return. Uh, wow, how can I use some of this for the good of others? And uh, when I see that person in need, uh, Lord, please help me. What a privilege to give to that person. I have to say, in the 21st century lower North Shore, I reckon our giving is embarrassing. You've got a stat on your information sheet. If everyone in our church was on the dole and gave 10%, we would reach two-thirds of our budget. Churches out west, as I know, the average wage is a fraction of ours, and they are far, far, far more generous. The ouch factor. Perhaps like the Corinthians, Church by the Bridge seems to be doing so well. You know, we're growing, and we're learning, and we're evangelizing. But look at verse 7. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnest, and in your love, see you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel at it. I just wonder if that's a neglected part of our Christian lives. Because God says there's a link between your faith in Christ and the way that you use your money. So give generously. Number three, plan your giving. How much should I give? That's between you and God. But plan it. Be wise. Verse 11. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it, your, your desire to give, may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Look at those three words, four words, according to your means. You don't give according to someone else's means. All our circumstances are different here. 
Some of us are working, some of us are not working. Some of us have, have one mouth to feed, others have six mouths to feed. Some of us are on small incomes, others are on unimaginably high incomes. And it's easy to compare yourself. You give according to your means. I heard this week a story of a doctor who just got a new position and a pay rise. And when he's around for dinner with a Christian couple, they said, oh, that's awesome, isn't it? He said, oh, it is awesome, but it just means I have to think more carefully how to give more of it away. Plan your giving. We'll go to verse 7 of chapter 9. 9 verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Paul says, don't talk about dollar signs, but make sure you've decided in your heart. Don't let someone else tell you what you must give. It's between you and God. But plan it and pray about it. It's not easy to do. Plan, pray, listen, look at your wage, calculate. Now, here's what happens when Rachel and I sit down to plan. In my mind, all these excuses start to come up. Oh, but Lord... What about my trips back to the UK to see my, my mum? If I gave that, how can I afford that? Our Lord, but what about our boys? I mean, surely we need to just save a bit for them. It's almost like, for me personally, I need to put this protection around me that, against what I call the, the bigger barns theology. <laughs> I need that, and I must have that, and for the future. And plan your giving, that regular systematic, disciplined giving. Who are you going to give to? Local church, poor and needy Christians, mission work, the world. When you see the age relief, we're supposed to be giving. And then do it. I do wonder how much genuine, rich generosity just gets clogged up somewhere in a pile of papers on the desk. The desire is there, we just don't follow through. You don't have to give, but you get to give. It's a choice you make. Give generously, plan your giving. Give, I love this one, give compassionately. Give compassion. We live in this world of competing voices. Someone has said, in today's religious marketplace, you are confronted by a host of hustlers competing for the Christian dollar. Who, how, where, how much? Anglicare, Samaritans, AFES, Cancer Relief. Well, look what Paul says down in verse 13. Chapter 8, verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. He's not, a, he's not an egalitarianism, but he's a kind of a socialist. He's believing that, that as Christians, you're not an isolated individual. You have a responsibility towards other people. And so when some Christians are struggling with just necessities like food and clothing and shelter, for you to live in luxury, neglecting your brothers and sisters throughout the world who, are, who go without, that's outrageous. Those with plenty should be helping those in need. Not just in your local church, but throughout the world. We support two compassion children. And we do that because we want to actually increase the education and the health of people in different parts of the world. Give compassionately. Give cheerfully. I find 9 verse 7 a hard verse. 
Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly but or under compulsion, for God loves a, a cheerful giver. Not reluctantly, no arm twisting, no manipulation. Uh, giving to gospel work is not like paying your bills, is it? You don't get a bill through the post and go, oh, awesome, I can pay my, my electricity bill. I have to say, again, personally, when I'm asked to give, my first response is often not excitement and cheerfulness. But it should be. A cheerful giver. The story that Rick Warren tells of the most generous man he knows, he's a man in his 40s, growing family here, earns about 200k a year, and he gives 150k away. He does a lot of work in Haiti, uh, showing the Jesus video to those who are suffering and in need. He was there one, one day and the truck boat broke down, so when he came back to the US, his first deal made $8,000 profit, and he sent it straight to Haiti to buy a new bus so they could hear the, the, the Jesus film again. It's a lady at my last church in, in London. Her name is Brenda. She's now passed away. She came to me one, one day, and she was a widower on a pension, and she handed me an envelope with tears rolling down her cheek, and she said, I want you to use this so that the gospel can go out. And I opened this envelope. It's a huge amount of money. And she's a cheerful giver because she loves Jesus. And when you've understood how lives can be transformed by the gospel going out, when you hear stories of young boys and girls being given Bibles, when you hear stories of, of people in Kirribilli hearing about Jesus because of the work that we're doing here, isn't that worth giving to cheerfully? What's the comparison? It sticks in your investment account compared to giving so that people can hear about Christ. I reckon if Paul had gone straight to Corinth, the money would have come in. But he's not interested in the amount of money that's given. He wants your heart. He wants people to love Jesus, and because they love Jesus, to be cheerful givers. Love Jesus, give generously, plan your giving, give compassionately, give cheerfully, and here's the promise. It's a surprising one. It, it sort of jars with you. It's not very Anglican. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's the principle. He's saying you reap what you sow. If you want to reap in abundance, you've got to sow very generously. Let me be clear. He's not saying... And they give a hundred bucks and get two in the back. He's not saying fill in this, this giving thing and you'll get a new TV next week. But he is saying, as you sow, as you give your time, your talents, your money, as you sow generously and cheerfully, just watch God work. See God work. See the harvest he can bring through your giving. And you sit there and you, you reap in abundance and you see people coming to faith and growing their faith and their physical needs met and their emotional needs met and you reap in abundance. You see, we say, when I give, sorry, when I, when I receive, I'll, I'll give back. And God says the opposite. Give and you'll receive. You've got to sow before the harvest comes. And my selfish nature will warn me against that principle. But look at the benefits. Down in verse 8. 
just in case you're hearing this thinking, uh, but if I gave, then I might be on the breadline. Look at verse 8. And God is able, literally he is powerful, to make all grace abound to you, so that in, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound with every good work. He's saying, if you want to experience God's power, if you want to grow in your love for God, if you want to see the way God powerfully provides for all your needs, if you want to be more humbly dependent, then give. And watch the way that God gives to you. He will supply all your needs. John Bunyan said this in Pilgrim's Progress. He said, a man there was, they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. I love it. You'll never become a generous giver by looking at your bank balance. You will become a generous giver when you look to God and you say, God, you are able to provide for all my needs, for me, for my family. So help me to give. What's the other benefit? It's down in verse 11 of chapter 9. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in what? In praise and thanksgiving to God. Isn't that your ultimate purpose in life, that you want your God to be praised, that you want your God to receive the the thanksgiving and praise that he deserves? And if that is your goal, then in everything you do, your time, your talents, and yes, your money, so generously, so generously, where your treasure is, there your heart is. That's God's word for you tonight. If you love Jesus, please, please be generous. Let me pray. Father, thank you for that amazing promise that we will be, we've been, we will be made rich in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to you. Lord, we long for your name to be praised and adored, and we long for Jesus to be exalted and lifted high and proclaimed throughout this suburb and throughout this world. So please stir in our hearts that spirit of generosity. In Jesus' name.